It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September twenty second, two 2011 is ready to go. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is back after a week of uh, absence. Welcome back, Dad. Jacob, always great to be with you for the virtual Bible study. Missed you last week. Yeah, missed being here. I heard part of it uh, from a distant location, and it sounded like you and James Buchanan did a really good job. appreciate James setting in last week for the virtual Bible does study. Does it seem weird not to be here on Thursday night? It does. We've been doing it often enough and long enough that it seems like this is where we're supposed to be on Thursday. Well, it is where we're supposed to be, and we're glad that you're here as well. The number to call to be a part of the program is 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room is open to the right of your viewing window if you're watching us live at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Well, we've got an interesting program tonight, and uh, you had to sort of uh, clue me in on some current events because I missed something. I think you've been so busy lately, Jacob, that you haven't been paying much attention to current events. But most people who yeah. haven't been living under a rock someplace oh, yeah. heard what Pat Robertson said last week uh, about, um, well, it, it was just, when I heard it, I said, what? And I think a lot of people did. He said that he was asked a question about a man whose, I believe it was a man, whose wife had Alzheimer's disease, and he wanted to date other women. Well, his he, wife was... But he, in bed with yeah. her. Well, and, and Pat Robinson said, well, he should go ahead and divorce her because basically she's dead already. It's a, it's a, it's a type of death. Uh, and so he, he should or could divorce her and just go ahead and marry someone else. Crazy. And so, you know, he, he got a, a real uh, shocked response. Even by people in the liberal media, they thought that that sounded just uh, out there, you know, yeah. for, for Pat Robertson to be saying that. And so we thought we would use his comments. We're going to play them a minute. Jeff's running the board for us tonight, and he's got it queued up. We're going to play Pat Robertson's comments in a minute. Uh, we want to use his comments to sort of talk about circumstances determining right and wrong or the more common expression, situation ethics. Well, I feel good because I think Kevin is in the chat room. I don't think Kevin knew about this story either, so I'm not the only one that's out in the door. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll hang on there, Kevin. We're going to play the clip that Pat Robertson said. We want to, we're going to segue from Pat Robertson into a, a sort of a broader study of situation ethics. Uh, and we asked the, these questions earlier today to our update list, remembering that we always do this on Thursday before the program. Usually shortly after lunch on Thursday, we send out an update telling you what our program is going to be about, giving you some study questions that we ask you to start answering, uh, you know, so that we can use yeah. your comments during the program. If you want to be on our update list and you are not, Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just put in the subject line, add me to your it's list. It's a good reminder, too, because sometimes, you know, your schedule gets busy. It's just a good reminder, hey, the, the program's on. We remind you. We also are on Twitter, and I think Jeff sent out a Twitter update just a, a moment ago. Uh, so if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're VBS Questions on Twitter. All right. All right. So here's the questions that we sent out earlier today. 
Question one, if you think that circumstances do determine right and wrong, please explain why. Uh, I don't I don't think that we're going to get any positive answers to that. I think most people will not believe that circumstances determine, at least most of our listeners will not de- believe right. that circumstances determine right and wrong. Uh, then if you believe the concepts of situation, this is the second question, if you believe the concept of situation ethics is wrong, give your best biblical arguments to show why. Uh-huh. Number three, what are some popular attitudes that show people are applying situation ethics to their religious beliefs and practices? Mm. In other words, this is this attitude that you know right and wrong is determined by the circumstances that you're in. That's certainly bled over into religious thought. And you I think, think people may be cognizant of the fact that they're applying situation ethics all the time, or is this maybe something that slips in on them? Uh, it may slip in on them. I mean, it's clearly what Pat Robertson was doing, and yeah. I think others do as well. And then the last question that we'll try to talk about tonight, instead of situation ethics, what should we do when we're faced with difficult circumstances? You know, people only try to change the rules situationally if they're in a, in a tight spot they're or in a, jam. A, in a jam. Yeah. So we get ourselves in a tight spot of difficult circumstances. Instead of trying to bend the rules by situation ethics, what should we do? We'll talk about that at the end of the program tonight. We look forward to your comments. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Let us know your thoughts. Send them in the chat room if you're listening to us live tonight. All right, so let's go to the to the clip that Pat Robertson. It's the first time I've heard this, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, let's uh, Jeff. If you've got that queued up, uh, I think some of our listeners may not have heard this. Uh, here's what Pat Robertson said. We've got this from YouTube. Says that he should be allowed to see other people because his wife, as he knows her, is gone. So, Robertson, an ordained Baptist minister for 50 years, right. responded. I, I know it sounds cruel, but he's, he, if he's going to do something, he should divorce her and start all over again. But, uh, you know, to make sure she has custodial care, and if he says, in a sense, she is gone, he's right. It's like it's like a walking death. So. It's not. That's the clip. There's the clip that got Pat Robertson in a lot of hot water, rightfully so. And that, that uh, video was from ABC Nightly News. And even the liberal media people on ABC News thought that that was rather an outrageous thing for someone to say, that you should abandon. Just make sure she's being taken care of. Make sure she has custodial care. And then go do what you want to do because she's dead basically anyway. Wow. You know, do you think Pat may be well, get uh, in touch of that? Uh, uh, in, the, in the chat room, uh, I think uh, Larry. Is it Larry from, from uh, Stanton, Kentucky, says sounds like Robertson himself may have Alzheimer's disease. You better disease. be careful. He, yeah. might be, he might be setting the stage for something yeah. to happen there. Yeah. Well, we got another uh, listener in the chat room from Springfield, Illinois. Uh, so, uh, And then Kevin Kelly is in the chat room, a regular listener from Arkansas. Hot Springs. Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yeah, so, that's, where, uh, that's where Pat's sitting tonight. Yeah, he's sitting on the hot seat after after what he said. Okay, so what we want to do is talk about this. Do circumstances determine what's right and wrong? The, the, the standard nomenclature here, Jacob, is situation ethics, that, that mm-hmm. the situation determines what's right. And I've got some quotes. Some of you will recognize, recognize the name Joseph Fletcher. Uh, he died back in 91. He was an Episcopal priest, and he was the most famous proponent of situation ethics he wrote a book called Situation Ethics, The New Morality, and he sort of formalized this view. I don't, it, it didn't originate with him, but mm-hmm. he formalized it uh, uh, in that book. Here's some quotes from him from that book, Situation Ethics, The New Morality. He says, quote, for the situationist, there are no rules, none at all. Mm-hmm, that sounds good. 
Uh, he goes on uh, another place. He says, and therefore what is sometimes good may at other times be evil, and what is sometimes wrong may sometimes be right when it serves a good when it serves a good enough end, depending on the situation. Mm. Mm. Another quote, any act, even lying, premarital sex, abortion, adultery, and murder could be right depending on the circumstances. Wow. And then he says in another quote, the new morality, situation ethics, declares that anything and everything is right or wrong according to the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so that the measuring stick is not some absolute standard of right and wrong. It's the situation. And based upon the situation, that fully determines what is acceptable and unacceptable conduct in, uh, for the moment. Well, it sounds like Fletcher is a little bit confused himself, talking to himself in circles, and I think you could easily talk yourself into circles. But uh... well, you know that if 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 those quotes are taken to be true, then there there's no there's no end to what can be done and will be done. In other words, uh, I think I'll kill you. I think I'll murder you because oh, he said uh, you that might yeah. be right. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. At this moment, it seems to me that that'd be the best course of action to follow. Mm. But it, but obviously you don't think that. I think that. You obviously don't think yeah. that. How are we going to have a civilized world if everybody just gets to make up their own rules for right or wrong based upon how they feel at the moment in that situation? Well, uh, you know, it, it's it's completely unworkable. It's ridiculous uh, at the on the very face of it. But of course, it, it's it's strongly condemned in the scriptures, and that's that's where we want to go. But you know, if you stop and think about it, situation situation ethics has been pretty widely accepted and, and, and is shown in our culture. For instance, in television shows, mm-hmm. not just current television shows, but television shows that date way back, mm-hmm. we see evidence of people who believe the situation determined right or wrong. For instance, many of our listeners will probably still be the type who like to watch the old reruns of the Andy Griffith show. Right. And Andy was forever doing things to protect Barney's feelings. Uh, he would lie and connive and cheat and and misrepresent if it was to protect Barney from being hurt right. somewhere or another. So so the, the the concept, although never overtly stated, was if it's to protect someone from having their feelings hurt, then hmm. it's okay to tell a lie. Yeah. So I mean, we see that we've been seeing it for a long time. It's in literature. It's in music. You remember the old country? You may not, Jacob. Oh, I, I think I remember it. The old country music song, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. Yeah, I remember that. That's, yeah. that's situation ethics. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's in our school books. I, I got a quote here from U.S. News, and, uh, News, U.S. News and World Report, and this is a rather old quote, but it was about a, a controversy in textbooks. Uh, the title of the article was School Books Stir Up a Storm. And in this school textbook, and this is what they were teaching kids, most people think that cheating is wrong. Do you think there's ever a time when it might be right? Mm. Tell when it is. Tell why you think it is right. right. That's situation ethics. I mean, right. I mean, just very plainly expressed. Uh, we've got other popular expressions in our culture. It's okay so long as no one gets hurt. Right, right. You know, who says? Who said so? Uh, uh, maybe, maybe... Some of you who are listening have been asked to tell a lie for your boss at work uh, or lying to someone else to protect someone else's feelings. Right. Uh, certainly, a lot of current issues like abortion, 
uh, you know, abortion is justified based upon the situation. Right. Now, this is not a good time for the woman to have the baby. You know, it, it would, the it, baby the, would the, have a rough life. The, the circumstances wouldn't be good. It'd be better to terminate the pregnancy than to, right. to give birth to a child in these circumstances. Yeah. Certainly, a lot of people who go through divorces uh, yeah. do it because uh, they try to justify themselves based upon the situation. What about, what about euthanasia? Now, you hear a lot about that in the news. I guess uh, Mercy Jack Kevorkian died not too long ago. But he was famous for yeah. that. But he was supposed to be—he was supposed to be a hero because he killed people because they were in a bad situation. Yeah, and that's something. Now, in the chat room, Steve asked the question: Does this not go along with the belief that the ends justify the means? Yeah, I think it, it exactly does. In other words, if it's a good outcome. And let's say, for instance, the outcome is that I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I don't want to see their feelings get hurt. And so that's the end I'm trying to achieve. If I have to tell a lie in order to get to that end, the end justifies the means. It's exactly end justifies me. I think you're right, Steve. All right. Uh, Certainly that is the justification many use uh, for their decisions today, including those in the religious realm as well. 877-381-4567. Kevin Kelly's got an interesting one in the chat room. He says... uh, Here's an example of situation ethics. He says, my siblings abandoned me, sold me, faked my death. Then my boss's wife made multiple advances toward me. We had opportunity for an illicit fair. Then I decided it better to leave my cloak behind, Genesis 39. And, uh, of course, he's telling the story of Joseph. And, it, and it, so it, he's saying Joseph had ethics in that situation. Joseph, if, if he believed in situation ethics, at any point in that progression, could have justified himself in doing differently yeah. than what he did. Yeah. It's a good point. That's a good, a very good tie-in, Kevin. All right. Well, you've shown us very clearly that uh, situation ethics is a pervasive idea and concept in the world today, but not only in the world uh, by those who don't claim to care anything about God, but very prevalent among those who are religious as well. Uh, Joseph Fletcher was uh, an Episcopal a priest. Priest. So Pat know, Robertson. Pat uh, Robertson, an ordained Baptist minister for 50 years. The news report says, and maybe. It's pervasive in our thinking as well. We need to make sure that we check ourselves. So we're going to, you know, we did, as I fully suspected, Jake, if we didn't get anybody who gave us an affirmative on question one, that circumstances do determine right and wrong. Nobody, nobody Mm. went that route. We didn't have any, anybody defending situation ethics. Perhaps we have someone listening, though, tonight. If there is, somebody tell us. But I I, I think that most of our listeners are going to fully agree that it's not right. So let's talk, when we come back from our first break, let's talk about Bible reasons why situation situation ethics simply don't work. They're wrong. The situation warrants that we should take a break, though, at this time. There you go. All right. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Stay tuned during the break. And get your thoughts together. We'll go on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. 
It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program tonight, welcoming you back. If you're just joining us, uh, we're welcoming you to the program as well. Telling you we're talking about situation ethics on the program tonight. and want your thoughts. Uh, our situation, does the situation help us determine if something is right or wrong. We've heard from Ramona, from Chris in Atlanta, and from Anthony in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, talking about uh, the question, Are does the circumstance determine right or wrong? They all say no. We'd like to hear from you as well. Uh, and uh, let us know your thoughts in the chat room as well. All right. Uh, before we get to some of these uh, responses as to what's wrong with situation ethics, um, Larry in Kentucky says, how would you explain Rahab's response when she hid the spies? Did she lie? Was it okay for her to lie? That may be one of the more prevalent ones in the scriptures uh, that people go to determine. She did lie. She did lie. There's no doubt that she lied. Uh, And so what do we find her commended for in the scriptures? To make it even, make the wicked even stickier. She's commended in Hebrews chapter 11 as being someone of faith. Yeah. Imagine that. But I think that's what she is commended for. She's commended for her faith. She's not mm. commended for her lying. She's not the only person in the Bible who lied. Abraham, you know, the great, yeah, he got great hero of our faith. Twice. Uh, Abraham told lies. Uh, others did. And so we're not saying that the Bible never describes somebody who acts in such a way. But they're not commended for the lying. They're not commended for the moral lapses. They're commended... For instance, in the case of Rahab, what she's commended for is that in a city of unbelievers, of pagan unbelievers, she believed in Jehovah God, and and uh, so she received the spies. Well, uh, that, and that's what she's commended for, not for her lying, but but for her fa- in the fact that she had faith in God. All right, uh, we have a dissenting opinion in the chat room tonight. Alan says, "I think it was okay for her to lie. She was commended by Old Testament and New Testament authors." Uh, well, she's commended for her faith. Uh, there's no doubt she's commended for her faith. But find some place in the scripture where it says that she's commended for telling a lie. It's not there. Uh, and so, yes, she is commended. She was a person of faith. She's commended for the fact that she had faith in a city of un- pagan unbelievers. She believed what she was hearing about Jehovah God. And and so she acted. She acted. Uh, she assisted to, to an extent. She acted wrongly, sinfully, but but she was a person who acted uh, based upon faith, and her faith is what's commended, not her specific actions. So you're saying that you could make the same argument that she was committed for her lying, uh, as you could say she was committed for her harlotry, because uh, you know she's commended as being someone of faith, and there's something that's wrong in her life. She's obviously not commended for that. So. She wouldn't be commended for lying. Yeah, in, other words, in other words, when, when in Hebrews chapter 11, it mentions Rahab and commends her. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. 
Does that say anything about commending her for lying? No, I don't see it. So if, if you're going to say that versus commending her for lying, I think your argument stands, Jacob. It would be just just as well to say it's commending her for her harlotry. Right. It's not commending her for either one. It's commending her for her faith. All right. And that's, I think that's got to be the explanation. I don't know if that's fully satisfactory, everyone, but I believe that has to be the right explanation. Well, let's hear your thoughts uh, in the chat room tonight. Uh, let your uh, fingers do the walking or the talking here. Or give us a call if you'd like to share your thoughts with us uh, one-on-one. We'd love to hear from you at 877-381-4567. All right, let's talk about what's wrong with situation ethics. Uh, Ramona says, she says, now I think she's answering specifically in regards to what Pat Robertson said, talking about marriage, Ephesians 5.25 uh, parallel concepts as Christ loved the church, so so ma- marriage should be between husband and wife. He would not divorce the church for any reason, and he com- commands us to do the same. Oh, yeah. So he, she's saying, you know, I think she's answering in regards to what Pat Robertson specifically said. She's saying that would be a, a direct violation of, of our instructions as husbands and wives in Ephesians 5. All right. Uh, Chris says, if you can apply situation and ethics to circumstances, then we would have no absolute truth. Nothing in God's word could be held as a definite standard. I'm having a brain cramp and cannot put my finger on a passage that specifically addresses situation ethics, except maybe Proverbs 16, verse 2, which states that all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. The Bible does give us many commandments that are not vague or subjective. If we can be subjective with what is right and wrong, then what would prevent God from doing the same? I take comfort in knowing what God says will not and cannot change. I can bank on it. All right. I think that's a good point, uh, Chris. In other words, it's it's good to know where the limits are, what, what the absolutes are, and that we're not just a wash out here in a moral abyss where we don't know. And, you know, think how think how uncomforting it would be to say, well, I decided that today it was okay to tell a lie. I sure hope God decided the same way I did on that one. Yeah. And we don't know. Right. You know, that that, that just would be no good. Does all. God know all the facts that I know? Yeah. yeah. Would he have, in other words, I thought fully justified in telling that lie today. I. But would God, does God agree with my with my pro- thought process that led me to that conclusion. Or what Man, if? We just we would know we would just be completely without without an anchor. Yeah. What if? What if? You know, God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. What if God knew how it would turn out if I didn't lie, and yet I thought it would turn out better if I did lie. And when I did lie, it messed things up. What, what would I do then? You know. So, all right. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. We got another one in the chat room that I think we should comment about. A guest, guest 62, has asked, what about David eating the showbread? Would that be considered situation ethics? That's another another one, yes. That's another one that commonly comes up. Let me take you to Matthew 12 because that's where we read this. Okay. And I think we can answer it. I think uh, this is a good challenge, and we need to be prepared to answer it. Um, uh, Matthew 12, beginning verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the... Uh, through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Now stop there for a minute. Their accusation was not that they're stealing corn. Uh-huh. No, that you can do that. Uh, that was allowed. Yeah. I, I'll give you a cross-reference on that if you want to maybe make a, a marginal note in your Bible. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says you could, you could pluck corn from a, from a field to eat. Mm-hmm. You couldn't you couldn't put your sickle to the crop. You couldn't harvest it and take the take the harvest. 
but you could take something to eat as you were traveling by. Mm-hmm. And that was not, in other words, that was not theft. And that's not what they were accusing the disciples of Jesus of doing. No. They no. were accusing them of doing work on the Sabbath day. Oh, okay. That the, that the process of grinding this grain in their hands and then eating it, that was work. Yeah. And you can't do any work on the Sabbath day. That's what they accused him of. So Jesus goes on. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and to eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? I say to you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. All right. Let's break that down. The last part first. Notice Jesus said that his disciples were guiltless. Yes. They were guiltless. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah. I know how to rightly interpret the Sabbath law. I wrote the Sabbath law. Yeah. Don't and, go telling and, me. And my disciples are not guilty of breaking the Sabbath law. Well, they're guiltless. Okay. Right? So the, the, the first point is that Jesus said, my disciples are guiltless in this matter. I know because I know the Sabbath law. I wrote the Sabbath law. Now, right. now are they now, guiltless because of the situation? No, they're guiltless because they didn't break the law. Well, then why would he reference David? Okay, he goes back. Let's go back to David. He talks about David, and we remember that episode. He was fleeing from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And they came to the tabernacle and asked for some something to eat because right. they were hungry. And the, and the priest said, don't have anything except the showbread. And David said, well, give us that. Yeah. You know what Jesus said David did? He said it was not lawful. Ooh. David did what was not lawful. That, now, that ends the situational ethics argument right there because he did wrong. All right. So here, here's, this, here's why I think Jesus brought that up. To the Jews, David was their national hero. Huh? He was the, the greatest uh, of all in the, in the history of the Jewish nation. And, and he did this episode where he just outright broke the law of Moses in eating that showbread. And yet the Jews never said anything about that. They still admired him as their great hero. They had no complaint with David for what he did in eating the showbread. But here they are criticizing Jesus' disciples who had done nothing wrong. So Jesus, in bringing that up, was bringing that up to show their hypocrisy. Right. And and Jesus frequently did that in, in talking to the Pharisees, show how that their judgments were so hypocritical. And that's what he's doing here. He brought the story of David up to show that they commended David, who was guilty, and condemned his disciples, who were innocent. And that was just typical hypocrisy for the Pharisees. Well, David is sharing the hot seat with Pat Robertson tonight because Alan follows up. What do you think about David's line to the Philistine king about which people he was plundering and killing? You remember that episode? He was in exile with the Philistines. Yeah, and it was a lie, and he's not committed for that. Okay. He's not committed for that. It, it, we have we have the historical narrative, but find some place in that historical narrative or any reference to it, to that specific episode where David's committed for doing that. What we see is fallible human beings making errors in in judgment and committing sin. David did, I believe, he sinned in that matter, and the Bible does not commend him. It records what he did, but it's not commended, and we just have to leave it at that. Okay. Now, we have a good comment from Steve. He says, "What we see what God thinks about it, and that being situation ethics, when he struck us up for trying to do what he thought was right by catching the ark as it fell to the ground. 
He was put in that situation by his king, yet the situation did not justify his actions in the sight of God. I think that's one of the great Bible examples that proves that situation ethics don't work. Pat Robertson probably would have said, oh, that'd be okay, Uzzah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Uzzah, Uzzah would be all right. I mean, it's... It's already fallen. If that ark hits the ground, it's going to bust into a hundred pieces. It'll it'll be okay to touch it in that circumstance. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I think Steve's got a good point. I would add another. If we want to talk about some of the things that are wrong with situation ethics, there are lots of Bible examples that show the end does not justify the means. That, That case of Uzzah that Steve in the chat room mentioned, I think is maybe the greatest one of all. The, uh, another one uh, I think is a good one is in 1 Samuel 15. We won't take time to read all that. But in 1 Samuel 15, we've got the story of Saul. He was told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. But he came back with the king and some of the best animals. He said, what I want to do with these animals that I've brought back is have a big sacrifice ceremony. We're going we're gonna to sacrifice these animals, and it's going to be something wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful to sacrifice all these animals to God? And you remember Samuel's famous response, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Basically, Samuel said, No, you're wrong, Saul. That end does not justify the means. Do what God said. Do Obey is what God wants. So those, if, if I was going to make arguments about what's wrong with situation ethics, I would bring up those kinds of stories. Uh, in some of the ones that have been asked in the chat room, uh, we don't have information as, uh, that commends those who lied or stole or whatever. In, in these cases, we have the full information. Here's somebody who under a difficult circumstances broke the law. And how did God respond? How did he respond to us? How did he respond to King Saul? We've got the full story there, and we know that God did not let them bend the rules. Even though it seemed even, like even though it idea. seemed like it was a good idea. All right. We're going to take another break. Get this week's bullet point and get your comments on the other side of the break. Get them in now. Better yet, give us a call. It's toll-free, and we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It seems like there's lots of folks having trouble accepting the idea that God has specific commands that man must obey in order to be saved. Frequently, when we teach these specifics, the reply is made, Well, the Lord knows my heart. Usually this means that the person making the statement has not obeyed these particular commands of God, But he still has confidence in his salvation because, as he says, the Lord knows my heart. First, let us acknowledge that no truer statement has ever been made. Yes, indeed, the Lord perfectly knows the hearts of each of us. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning verse 12, says he is able to, quote, discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So the Lord knows us. He observes our deeds. He is aware of our thoughts and intentions. To put it simply, the Lord knows my heart. What does all this mean for the fellow who refuses to obey the specific commands found in the scriptures? Well, there's no comfort in such a realization. In fact, it is quite a terrifying thought. Here's a man who knows what God wants him to do. He has learned where his own life falls short of God's standard, but he refuses to obey. He simply will not bring himself into compliance with the will of God. Should he be comforted in the fact that God knows his heart? No, sir, not at all. Instead, he should shudder to think that the eternal judge is fully aware of his stubborn rebellion. If he chooses to remain in such a state, he should actually be hoping that God does not know his heart. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. 
My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And that call's toll-free. If you would, give us a call, 877-381-4567, as we talk about situation ethics on the program tonight. You know, there are a lot of things that are wrong with situation ethics, and I think uh, guest 846 in the chat room has alluded to one of the biggest problems. Uh, Guest 846 references Proverbs 16, verse 25. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Isn't that uh, really what we're talking about with situation ethics? Figure out what seems right to you and then do it. Isn't that what Joseph Fletcher said in those quotes you started us with tonight? Yeah, exactly right. And I think that I think that, that statement from the Proverbs is is the one of the arguments I would make against situation ethics. It assumes that men are able to determine what's right in a given situation or what's even best in a given situation without God's guidance. Yeah. And uh, and that is just it's just not possible uh, as as uh, our guest in the chat room references Proverbs sixteen twenty five, uh, we might also reference Jeremiah ten twenty three. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself; it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Or Isaiah fifty five verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wow. So I mean we. Well, the problem with uh, situation ethics, uh, one of the problems, not not all, not the sum total of the problems, but one of the problems is it, it assumes something about us that's not true, and that is that we can guide ourselves, that we yeah. can make the right decisions. If we could do that, if we could, if situation ethics was correct, the concept, we wouldn't need the Bible. Well, if it was because correct. if I could do things that the Bible says not to do under certain circumstances, why do I need the Bible at all? I could just figure out what to do on my own. Yeah, and if it was a workable situation, I mean, if it was a workable concept in in any given situation, all of us would agree uh, as to what was the right course of action. But we don't. Right, because if there is only one correct way to go on any yeah. situation, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, another problem with situation ethics is that it ignores. Well, many just absolute prohibitions in the Bible. Uh, here's one listing of things that w- you, it, w- you will remember well from 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor drunkards, thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's now, interesting. Go, go back here to these quotes. Exactly. Joseph Fletcher said, Any act, even lying, premarital sex, abortion, adultery, and murder could be right, depending upon the circumstances. Yeah. But God says fornicators and adulterers are among those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, well. we got Joseph Fletcher on one side. We got God on the other. I think I'll stay with God on that. Well, that's a good that's a good place to be. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Join in the program as we talk about situation ethics. Yeah, got got absolute a, prohibitions there. We got an email from a listener in Indiana who says if if you can justify divorce for Alzheimer's, that's what Pat Robertson 
did last week. Oh, I and forgot. That, and, I, yeah. And that's yeah. what started us out on our discussion tonight. He said, and so this, this uh, emailer says, if you can justify divorce for Alzheimer's, then you can do the same for mental illness, comas, and a multitude of other situations. Situation ethics can also be compared to making excuses to explain and justify your actions. And I think that's just what it is. It's, it's, ex- it's convenient. Yeah, it's a convenient thing. It's excuse making. Uh, I think uh, our, our emailer is right on. All right. We'll look forward to your emails as well if you'd like to send them in. Alan wants us to know in the chat room he's not defended or made an argument for what is commonly known as situation ethics by the references to places where those in God's favor lied and were conspicuously not punished. So he's just making some, some you know, asking some questions or making presenting some. Well, some I think those are the questions that come up when we get into a discussion of situation ethics. Uh, I mean, Rahab the harlot, David and the showbread. Uh, those are two that are, will always come up in discussions about situation ethics. And so I think we need to be prepared to give an answer. Uh, and, and I think that the, the basic answer, although each of those circumstances is different, I think the basic answer is that the, the sinful thing they did is not what they're commended for uh, in, in any of those cases. You can never say, you can never find a place where God said, they told a lie and I'm sure glad they told a lie. They told a lie and I... I praise Boy, them for the, I praise them for the lie they told. You, you just don't find those kind of expressions. What you find is that they're commended for the fact that they were believers. All right. Uh, Robin asked a question from Genesis 16. Didn't Abraham and Sarah use situation situation ethics to get the promise of God? That is Genesis 15 verse 4, referenced by Robin. Or was it okay to go along with the custom of the day? Now is he talking about the uh, when uh, Sarah Robin might be a she uh, when Sarah gave Sarah gave Abram her handmaid Hagar yeah because God had promised an heir oh but and uh, it wouldn't be and, lawful maybe uh, well under today's law it wouldn't be lawful for him to have his handmaid but uh, in those times that polygamy was maybe well, I mean, we, we know that many in in Old Testament times had multiple wives and that was not. There, there wasn't a law against that. Uh, but I think Robin's question is, did Abraham and Sarah use situation ethics? In other words, we're not having a baby. God said we would have an heir. That, they, mm-hmm. that, that Maybe we got, we need to do something, make it happen. Yeah. And, of course, as you go on and read the story, that turned out to be a, 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 <laughs> a you know, d- yeah. just a, a total disaster. And the, uh, so if it if and I don't know, I, I don't know if I would – specifically identify that as a situation ethics approach but if, it, but if it was it didn't work yeah right either way it didn't work all right uh, we look forward to hearing from you maybe you agree maybe you disagree uh we'll send in your comments and let us know a well, uh, couple more things on my yeah. list of, of what's wrong with situation ethics jacob uh i think it it, it Effectively insults God and His Word mm. uh, because His because uh, sec- He couldn't give us a rule that uh, he can't is give right it. all the time. Yeah, he, he's not wise enough to give us a guidebook that's applicable to all circumstances. I mean, I get myself in circumstances all the time that the Bible oh, yeah. just doesn't address. Yeah, yeah. God said not to lie, but He didn't know what kind of jam I was going to yeah, get he, into. He just wasn't. Today. He wasn't wise enough to foresee the kind of things I've been in. Yeah, uh, I mean that that's an insult to God to say I need to be able to bend the rules because. He just wasn't able to foresee that his rules don't work in every situation. Wow. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a blasphemous thing. When you, when you boil it down, that's effectively what those people are yeah. saying. I mean, it's a very proudful thing. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Second Peter 1, verse 3, 
according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's given us everything we need. It's all there. We just got to have the faith to apply it. Well, and, you know, there's another thing here that uh, this sort of muddies the water. If, you know, Joseph Fletcher says, you know, it could just depends on the situation. What is good now might be bad or evil tomorrow. What is evil in this situation might be good in that. Boy, it gets everything all muddied up. And, uh, you know, the scriptures tell us that uh, the scriptures condemn people who would do things like that. Yeah, what's the verse? Isaiah 5, verses 20 and 21. Woe unto them that call good evil, or call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Wouldn't you think that that verse directly uh, identifies the situation ethics? uh, Yeah practitioner the, the uh, one who, practice, who yeah. the, the one who does his his makes his decisions based upon situation ethics joseph fletcher basically said talk about calling evil good and good evil yeah uh, he said here's one of his quotes that we mentioned at the start of the program therefore what is sometimes good may at other times be evil and what is sometimes wrong may sometimes be right when it serves a good enough end depending on the situation he did exactly what isaiah 5 there condemns and so, and I think it might be as a result of his pride, where Isaiah fifty-five verse twenty-one wounded them that are wise in their own eyes. Yeah, that's what gets you in that jam. Yeah, exactly right. All right, uh, guest sixty-two. A huge problem with situation ethics is that it casts doubt on your faith. Raising hypotheticals that pose as situational ethics dampens growth in newborn babes that can even be raised by those we consider mature Christians. Okay. You know, Raising hypotheticals that pose a situational ethics dampens growth in newborn babes. That's a good point. You know, I, I've made the point before, Jacob, that if someone has to try and argue their point or argue their case by posing hypotheticals, it's a pretty weak case. Yeah. And I think that's uh, what our guest there, 62, is suggesting, that that's just that, – that, when you begin to teach people and demonstrate to them that the way to prove a point is to – try to invent impossible hypotheticals, then they're not going to grow. All right. Good point. Uh, Kevin says uh, uh, he, he agrees that it is insulting God's ability to prove command, uh, to provide rather commands that work in less than 100% of all situations. In other words, uh, what we were saying a moment ago and what, what Kevin is referencing there. Uh, God's rules are pretty good. Yeah. And maybe 95% of the time. Yeah. I mean, he did a pretty good job. I mean, probably yeah, better than he, we could. Yeah, probably, yeah of course, I mean, I'd yeah. be lucky to hit 80%. Yeah, right. But he got it But if, close. If, he, he, if he wrote a book that, that works 95% of the time, he, no, that's an insult to God. The all-wise, yeah. all-powerful God of heaven that created the universe, he can create a book and a set of rules that are applicable in all circumstances, in every situation, if we have the faith to apply them. Yeah, what kind of cocky people are we to think that we can know better than God in this situation? Well, Alan just jumped out of, of the program. He's going to go watch the presidential debate. Okay. All right. <laughs> you well, know, maybe we ought to change what we're talking about. What maybe. are you going to do about the debt? What are you going to do about the deficit? <laughs> National huh? debt. Well, maybe those guys are arguing from situation ethics. Oh, they probably are. They possibly are. All right. Um, I guess we're up. 
close to break time, Jacob. When we get back, we're going to go quickly to our last two questions. What are some popular attitudes that show people are applying situation ethics to their religious beliefs? Now, this is where now we're going to be getting close to home. Yeah. And then finally, instead of using situation ethics to justify ourselves and make our decisions, what should we do when we're in a tough situation? All right. So we'll go to that when we get back. From the going break. to the top of the hour right after this. Don't go anywhere. We continue after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we do encourage you to listen to us every week, and perhaps your Thursday evenings are not uh, appropriate for listening to the virtual Bible study. Catch us anytime in our archives. Uh, podcast us. And if you do uh, listen to us in the archive version, we appreciate you doing that, and we welcome your comments at any time. We will let you know this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, if you've never been to our website, it is thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. That's V-U-E, collegeview.com. And you can find out more information about us there, including uh, our times of assembly. We would encourage you to come and worship with us if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. We're talking about situation ethics on the program tonight. And this is a prevalent idea in many religious circles today as well. Yeah, we ask, what what are some popular attitudes that show people are applying situation ethics to their religious beliefs and practices? Ramona says, um, heard a radio host speak when the Columbine massacre happened, and the girl who was asked if she were a Christian, she said yes and was killed for it. The radio speaker said that under the circumstances like this, it would be all right to say no in order to save your life. Do you remember that uh, a couple years ago there were some soldiers, I think, were taken captive in the Middle East, and or maybe it was journalists, and they were asked if they were Christians, then they denied it, then they got back here, and they were explaining how that was the right thing to do? Yeah, I do. They denied Jesus, and then uh, in that situation it was right. See, again, if you're going to believe this junk, really... You could do anything, including, you know, spit in the Lord's face, and it'd be all right in that circumstance. Ramona goes on to say, but did the Christians uh, deny they were Christians in order to save their lives in the Roman Colosseum? We do not know what what we would do, but we should not deny Christ in any manner because of situation ethics for our own earthly concerns. I would agree, Ramona. Thank you. All right, and uh, Chris in Atlanta, Georgia, says many people have the attitude that as long as they, uh, as what they do is not hurting someone else, then it is okay. Similarly, many think that if what they are doing is not known by anyone, then there is no harm. For example, uh, taking a drink in the privacy of your own, your own home, watching television shows that are not appropriate, and dressing immodestly while on vacation. That's interesting. Uh, the idea that, well, if it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. That's a, that's a situational ethics kind of thing. 
And, yeah. and that's a that's a prevalent idea by many in the world today. Is oh, it's not, it doesn't hurt anybody. Exactly. It doesn't hurt anybody if I do these drugs or whatever. Exactly. Um, Larry in, in Kentucky in the chat room says, what about the person who says, I know what the Bible says, but I wouldn't change this feeling in my heart for anything. That's yeah. another good example. Ooh, wow, that is a good one. Somebody, uh, guest 878, is having trouble hooking guest up. Guest 878 is with us now. So uh, guest 878 is Okay, they live. got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, here's, i got a couple of examples that I thought of along this line. Now, this is religious people, Jacob. Yes. Who are using situation ethics to justify themselves. Yeah, spitting in God's face, really, in effect. Even in their religion. In their religion. Uh, Ironic. And and here, how how often have we heard an expression like this? This has to be right. Just look how much good is being done. Yeah. Right? Who's the judge? Yeah. You know, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, God's the one who gets to say what's good. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every or all good works. If it's a good work and you need to be doing it, you can read it in the scriptures. And if you can't read it there, then who are you to say it's good? God says what's good. Mm-hmm. And so you can't justify something that the Bible doesn't authorize because it does good, because the Bible authorizes everything good that God wants us to be doing. Yeah, so if you think it's good, then it's not because the Bible says not to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent. Uh, and then another expression that you hear sometimes. Oh, boy. It might have been wrong back then, yep. but times have changed, and we have to adapt our teaching and practice to the modern world. Mm. And so they use that concept to justify women preachers, yes. for instance, or the acceptance of homosexuality. Or marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Right, and so because we're in a different circumstance now, than they were back then when the Bible was written. Yeah. And so we're just going to have to, to change with the times. That's the argument. That's a situation ethics argument. We interviewed that guy, that that uh, preacher, who uh, the Episcopal, I think. Remember, he said, uh, well, we know more about homosexuality He was now. Presbyterian. Presbyterian, yeah. yeah. We know more. In fact, he said he knew more than Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. All right. Uh, Kevin in the chat room says, what's the definition of good? God gets to say what's good. That's right. The, the Bible defines good, and it's not up to us to define that for him or to try and justify our actions based upon what we think is good. And Larry has one that uh, maybe is a situation as well. This has to be right because everybody else is doing it. Yeah. I, I, the, the folks here at College View have heard me say plenty of times that I used to try to use that argument on my dad, mm-hmm. and it never worked because whenever I said I should be able to do it because everybody else was doing it. He said, well, if everybody's doing it, it's probably an indication that it's wrong. Yeah. So that's another reason you can't do it. Yep. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, again, any standard that you try to use to make your judgments other than the absolute standard of the word of God uh, is going to fail. And these situational determinations are failing because they're not in harmony with what God says. All right, Robin poses a question. Here's Robin's question. It seems like it is being said that there is no acceptable use of situation ethics. What about when God in his word gives us a general command as opposed to a specific command concerning some ethics? Aren't we allowed to use a situation in a godly way to obey the general command? Really, I can't think of an example, but maybe someone else can. Well, here... yeah. I don't know that God gives general commands in areas of ethics. Uh, I, do I don't either. I don't either. For, for instance, um, um, don't steal. 
Okay, so that's that's a general command, and but it's to be applied in every specific situation. But I, I can't. In other words, um, I, I just can't think. And Robin suggests that they can't think of it either. I can't think of an example in a matter of a moral or ethical determination where God leaves that open ended. In other words, uh, I'm to work. To support my family, First uh, yeah. Timothy five verse eight: Any man provide not for his own, he's worse. He has denied the faith and is worse than worse than an infidel. Well, that tells me I need to work. Mm. I can't provide for my family. In other words, it tells me I'm supposed to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. That's what it tells me, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this might this might uh, be an example that we can use. First Timothy five verse eight: If any provide not for his own. And especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So I've got to provide for my own. Now, that's sort of a general mm-hmm. statement. I've I got to provide for my own. How could I do that? Well, I could do that by working. Mm-hmm. I could do that by provide uh, by selling right. something that I that I currently own. Right. Uh, I might do it by bartering. Mm-hmm. But what I couldn't do is steal. Open a chop shop. Yeah. See, I couldn't. I couldn't. So this is sort of a general command, uh, provide for your own. Right. But I still have to do that within the bounds of what's, you know, general authority only allows us to exercise our judgment concerning things that are, are, uh, are right in and of themselves. Right in and of themselves. I can't make a judgment. I can't use a judgment in an area of general authority that is, that is a condemned methodology. All right. So that might be an answer. That's a good question, Robin. I think good. that might be the answer. Now, we have another question about this really does dovetail well into our discussion on situation ethics. Guest 878 says, I'm celibate and feeling a bit discouraged because the guy I've been dating for more than a year has desi- decided to leave me because he wants to have sex and he's not ready, nor does he know if he wants to marry me. He says, my formula won't work for long-term happiness. I'll be stuck in a bad marriage. I am divorced, and my first husband and I didn't have sex before we got married. Now, guest 878 in a somewhat of a sticky situation. Would it be okay in that circumstance? Since that's what the guy says, he he that that's the only way he's going to be able to make this commitment, this determination. He's right. not going to decide to marry her unless she agrees to have right. premarital sex. Right. Well, go back to Joseph Fletcher. If you want to follow Joseph Fletcher's idea, he says... Any act, even lying, premarital sex, abortion, adultery, and murder could be right, depending on the circumstances. Would Joseph Fletcher say, well, under that circumstance, since that guy's being pretty hard-nosed yeah, about I it. I mean, it seems right to me, I guess, right? Uh, I think, guest 878, I think you know the answer. Uh, and I would suggest that you run, not walk away from that guy. Yeah. If, if that's the uh, type of person he is and that's the way he's presenting the situation to you now, you you should be thankful that you had a chance to see him for what he right. is before you got married. Right. Well, that's uh, that uh, that is interesting. Uh, Larry says seems to me uh, that he needs to leave not just because he wants to have sex, because, but because he's not sure whether he loves you enough to marry you or not. Uh, you no doubt would be better off uh, on both counts. And uh, Kevin says if you were to use situation situation ethics, you might argue that he was a good man. So it would be okay to submit to the flesh. He might be good in some areas, but in this one, no. All right. So, yeah. A difficult uh, situation. No there, there, there's there's a real-life situation that one of our chat room uh, participants is in. And, again, 
the situationists would come up with one conclusion, but uh, the right answer is what God's Word says. And, yeah. and so we encourage you to follow that. All right. Um, instead of situation ethics, you ask, what should we do when faced with difficult circumstances? Uh, Ramona says, do what the Bible has commanded and stay on the straight course to heaven. There should be moral absolutes. Do not change the Word of God in any way. You will be blessed. And uh, Chris in Atlanta says, we should understand what the Bible says about our situation. If we do not know, then we should find out. Knowing what to do is great, but we must then actually do what is right. This can be very difficult when it would be much easier to do what we wanted, especially if no one else would know what we did. But this is where we must understand and really believe that everything we do on this earth will have to be accounted for in judgment. Matthew 12, 36, Luke 12, 12, 2 and 3. Once we really believe that and pray for strength, doing the right thing becomes easier. Thanks, Chris. Good points. Alan, or no, Anthony. Anthony. Uh, uh, says, uh, this is Anthony, and I'm not sure where from. Uh, this is not the Anthony that often participates in our program and runs our board for us sometimes. This is another Anthony. He says, it truly broke my heart to hear a person ever give that advice to someone and even have God anywhere in the same sentence. He's talking about what Pat Robertson right. said that got our discussion started. This situation would be the logical time to be there for someone even more. In other words, if your mate had Alzheimer's, they need you more than ever. Uh, remember when we took our wedding vows, Jacob, it was for better or worse in sickness and in health. You know, we promised something when we got married. And this the, the, Pat Robertson's advice actually says break that vow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, uh, if not, it almost like it's almost like, Darwin's idea of marriage, which is purely animalist and selfish. Anyone who would agree with Pat Robertson has no biblical knowledge or realm in the area of marriage, and if they claim, if they claim to, they are not reading the plain teaching of Matthew five and nineteen, as well as First Corinthians seven, close enough. Our generation has degraded the name of uh, marriage and put views that God never uh, intended for any of His creatures to obey or follow. His plan is the only plan we should follow, so we must stick by His word and go by the Bible alone. Therefore, such problems or conversations would never even come up. Nevertheless, we understand that this thinking and methodology of living is nowhere near the world's standards today. My prayer is that the Bible, following brothers and sisters in Christ, understand the important role of marriage and model that to our society. They have to see our light and understand thinking and actions like this are in darkness. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Real quickly, uh, here's here's what I would say. Here'd be my points. What do you do when you're faced with a difficult situation? Yeah. Look for the promised way of escape. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God promises when you're under temptation, whatever it is, you are able to withstand it, and he will give you a way to escape. Look for that situation way Situation ethics really says, well, you can't, and it won't work here. That yeah, he fails to have faith in God's promise. Right. So look for the promised way of escape. Search for God's answer. A couple of quotes from the psalm. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So search God's word for the answer. It's in there. Pray for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally, and it prayeth not, and it shall be given him. And then, finally, trust that God's way is the right way. Proverbs 3, beginning verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge yeah. him, and he shall direct thy path. Don't lean on your own understanding, which was what situation ethics is based around solely, is my understanding and my thing. So my opinion yeah. versus what God has said. Exactly right. All right. Excellent discussion. Good. Uh, I think an important one, and uh, Pat Robertson way, 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 way off base yeah. in what he said, but it gave us a chance to examine, again, that kind of thinking 
that is just absolutely all wrong. All right. We do appreciate uh, the discussion tonight, Dad. Good to have you back. Thank you for the time tonight. Thanks. And uh, Jeff has been behind the controls, done a a good job all night, but he's been quiet, but it's still a good job. Jeff, thank you for being here and helping out. Thank you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.